The Hebrew Roots Movement, the insistence by a growing number of Christians upon abiding by Old Testament rules and regulations, is a reaction to the paganism that has overtaken American culture. But reacting to paganism or secularism is not synonymous with Christianity. This is part two of a two-part conversation with the hosts of Cultish, Jeremiah Roberts and Andrew Songkrant, warning about a segment of Christianity or professing Christianity that has taken captive many in the church today. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com. Code Allie. As y'all were explaining the anti- Trinitarian aspects of some of the beliefs of some of the people who adhere to the Hebrew Roots Movement, not celebrating Christmas and Easter. I was like, this sounds a lot like Jehovah's Witnesses. And I was just interested if you guys had seen any crossover or if it just kind of happens that this is this is how it goes. When you step outside of Orthodox Christianity and step into some form of legalism. Now, it's obviously uh-huh. different because, as you said, there are people who adhere to parts of Hebrew roots who do really love Jesus and they're sincere in what they're trying to do. They might just be misled, whereas Jehovah's Witness is right. not Christianity at all. But it's interesting uh-huh. that there is some crossover there. Yeah, absolutely. Because it comes from uh, like what Jerry was saying earlier about the restoration movement. And we see that taking place in the 1800s because there's a belief during that time, uh, during the second quote unquote Great Awakening, uh, where there was a great apostasy. Essentially, Mormonism holds the belief. uh, Jehovah's Witnesses will hold hold that belief that there was the truth of God and the gospel. Jesus Christ was lost after the apostles. And then now in these last days that it is being restored to us. And typically the presuppositions behind those arguments is that the Council of Nicaea was pagan, Constantine, uh, paganized Christianity, things of that nature. A lot of these movements take place on attacking the historic creeds of Christianity that that happened long ago, that there was a truth that was lost and now it's restored. And so. Since they're saying that these things were paganized, then you can logically follow that holidays must be pagan as well. We have we can't trust history, uh, things of that nature. I mean, that's where we yeah. see pretty much every cult coming from the United States of America or cult like movement, shall I say, starts during this period of time during the restoration. Yes. It's pretty it's pretty um, incredible yeah. if you think about it. It's sad also, but you can go Mormons, uh, Jehovah's right. Witnesses. Yeah. Uh, the Millerites and the beginning roots of Seventh-day Adventism, uh, all of these things have pre- foundational presuppositions, which is you can't trust history. Uh, the gospel has been lost and now it's going to be restored. Even Alexander Campbell and the Campbellites in the early Church mm-hmm. of Christ. So all of it takes place then. And what's interesting as well is Alexander Hyssop's book on the mythologies of uh, essentially reconstructed history of holidays also was written around the time of the early yes. uh, to mid 1800s. And that's where we get a lot yeah. of this mythological arguments against Halloween and um, cr- Christmas, which have been debunked yeah. by, you know, real historians. Okay. I just had a thought as you were saying that I was like, wow, yeah, that's so true. They all kind of share this premise of, we are the we are going to be the ones, the central figure, Joseph Smith or whatever, we are going to be the ones to restore the real gospel. This is not new. This is how right. it was always supposed to be. Now, 
that sounds a little bit like the Reformation. Obviously, I am a Reformed Protestant, but I could see how a Catholic friend listening to this would say, well, isn't that kind of what Martin Luther did, which I think we all know our arguments, but I could see someone saying that's kind of similar. No, this is how it was always supposed to be. The real gospel has been lost. The real scripture has been lost. Don't trust these councils. Don't trust the Catholic Church. Don't trust some of these church fathers. Martin Luther, I have the real gospel. What well, what would you say to that? That yeah. was just a thought that I had as you were explaining it. Jerry, you want to go first? Well, my, well, my authority is not Martin Luther. Yeah. Like that's not that's not Martin Luther's not the standard. Um like I've the only thing honestly I've, I've read by Martin Luther, there's a website that's actually kind of funny. It's called uh, Luther's Insults. So he was very brash with a lot of the things that he would say. Yes. Like he would say I, I, I don't know if I want to even paraphrase or quote you might have to bleep it out, but it's it's very – it's called it's, – the you click on this website and it says insult me Luther and it'll just have some random quote against calling you know some very uh, colorful names to somebody you know he believed was a heretic. Right. But honestly, our authority when it comes to this is scripture. We look at what was, what was articulated in the first century when the Apostle Paul was writing to the Romans. Like what is he talking about justification by faith? Like, I, get, I get the fact – that uh, you know, Luther and this Reformation—they're looking to reform the church. They thought the church had lost its ways, but we have sources. We our standard is Scripture, which comes from the first century when the canon was uh, accumulated. So right. we're, that's that's what we're going to. We're not looking at Luther or Calvin or any of these reform. You know, those of us who adhere to a form of reformed theology. Like I've never read a book by John Calvin. Yeah. I know of the books, but when it comes to even my convictions regarding you know soteriology, when it comes to that, like I have convictions what scripture what scripture says of what what that is. That's yeah. that's not the primary authority. Right. Uh, so that's that's how I would say in, in contrast to that. And again, that's a whole that's a actually a topic we are going to explore uh, in. Uh, probably a future episode of cultists as well yeah. too andrew what are your thoughts on that too yeah i'm going to echo that on authority so with regards to the protestant reformation and the roman catholic church and let's say mormonism jehovah's witness uh parts of the hebrew Rus movement uh, worldwide church of god we have to think about what the authority is so what martin luther was telling people is like this is what the the Roman Catholic Church doesn't have the authority to interpret the Bible for you in terms of penance, uh, things of that nature. We're justified by faith, not by a pope who's telling us exactly how we are supposed to be uh, justified by God. We need to develop our doctrine solely through the word of God. Uh, so what's going on within restorationist movements is you see that they do the very same thing uh, as, let's say, the Roman Catholic Church, for example. It's that uh, we have a we have a person. Uh, let's say the Watchtower Tract Society. You can't necessarily read the Bible for yourself. You also have to go through the Watchtower Tract Society for witnesses for people who don't know. Exactly. I'm sorry. Yeah, for um for you in order to understand the scriptures. So with Mormonism, well, then we have Joseph Smith. I'm a prophet of God, and I am writing the Book of Mormon. And you have to go through the Book of Mormon, go through me, in order to understand what the Bible is actually teaching. We have a separate standard other than the Bible. Uh, with Hebrew roots movements, uh, we can understand as well. There's so many diverse views that are actually um in conflict with one another inside the movement because you need a guru, you need this person with 
special knowledge to tell you exactly what you need to follow, not necessarily read the Bible for yourself and follow it that way. So in terms of Martin Luther and within historic Christianity, even looking at the early church fathers and their writings, we can find that the Bible is the sole infallible rule of faith and practice. It's not an extra counsel of men or people. Who develop what the Bible says. It's just the councils were developed like the Council of Nicaea in order to combat those things from occurring because there were people, for example, the Council of Nicaea, which happened in 325 AD, who were denying the deity of Jesus Christ. They were saying that he was not the eternal God, that he was a created being. And that's a big deal because the Bible itself, not the men, the Bible is showing you that no, Jesus Christ is the eternal God. Yeah. So it was a correction occurring within time. Right. Uh, so the Protestant Reformation has nothing to do with what was going on in the Restoration because it's the Bible, it's the sole infallible rule of faith and practice, yeah. not uh, a council or a single person. Right. Uh, that's the beautiful thing about Jesus, yeah. too, and his church. He says, go make disciples of all nations. Uh, and in, in, yeah. it's a beautiful thing that we can have denominational differences in that the word of God is our standard. And the differences that we have are audiophora, meaning they're small differences. They're not gospel issues like what is the gospel? How are you justified? Who is Jesus? But minor sub issues. Whereas if you look at the restorationist movement, because they have an external standard uh, through all of these cult like movements, every difference that they have is astronomical because you have someone who's making changes to what the word of God says. And you must go through them first instead of going directly to God's word. Okay, let me tell y'all about an awesome sponsor, and that is Every Life Diaper Company. This is a pro-life diaper company. Sadly, there are diaper companies, diaper companies that that you've probably used before, that maybe you love, that actually are funding the abortion industry. How crazy and awful and backwards is that? Well, not at Every Life. They are unapologetically pro-life and they support the pro-life cause. Uh, Their Buy for a Cause bundle supports families in need of essential items such as diapers and wipes. It can be uh, purchased on their website so you can help those in need while you are also buying their awesome diapers. They come without fragrances dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates, everylife.com. Everylife.com. Use promo code Allie10 to get 10% off your first order today. Everylife.com. Use code Allie10 for 10% off. So support a pro-life company. Get great diapers while you're doing it at everylife.com. Code Allie10. I would say that Martin Luther and the reformers were doing the exact opposite of what some of these uh, cultish leaders were doing during that time period, because rather than saying, I have special knowledge that has not been written down, that just comes from me, and I'm going to tell you something new, he actually says, no, I want the knowledge that has already been written down to be made for everyone. I want it to be accessible to you. He actually felt like almost the Catholic Church was holding this special knowledge. Well, only we know the Bible. Only we can interpret the Bible. Only we can tell you what the Bible says. And oh, by the way, you need to pay the these indulgences because it's going to help your loved ones get out of purgatory. And so it was really mm-hmm. the opposite. Rather than saying there's special knowledge that only certain people can access, no, he believed that the average peasant should be able to access the gospel and the word of God. He was totally unafraid of the truth being completely unleashed. And that's what distinguishes Christianity, but in particular, right. the Reformation from these kind of Gnostic 
sects that say, oh, no, 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 don't trust what's written down and what you can easily understand. Right. I'm going to give you something far more complex, therefore far more sophisticated and they're more and therefore more salvific than anything that you've heard so far. Mm. That's yeah. right. And, and in, fact, in fact, one of the areas when you talk about, you know, by what standard, by how do you even judge these uh, movements? So a lot of times, whether it's Hebrew roots, whether it's any sort of restorationist group, there is sort of this aesthetic of like, you need to come to me and understand my special teaching and my special knowledge. And one of the primary refutations of that uh, is scripture being self-authenticating, which is in 1 John uh, 2, uh, 26 and 27. And the apostle John says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you by the anointing that you have received from him abides in you and you have no need for anyone to teach you but his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and no lie just as he taught you abide in him so what you see is that one of the primary rules of the holy spirit which is something that jesus gave at pentecost to all believers in jesus christ is the gift of the holy spirit so the holy spirit now for example brings conviction of sin that's one of the primary things that happens when a new uh, believer in jesus christ is born again uh, but another thing too is that the holy spirit works to sort of illuminate the text of scripture and to make it come alive now obviously you know scripture does talk about having you know pastors uh rulers that you need authorities that you need to submit to and there's places for that but the primary role of between the media between god and man is the man christ jesus and the primary and you know pastors obviously who expo uh, expose the word of god but there's checks and balances where the holy spirit is the one who illuminates the text and so a good pastor would say don't judge what i'm saying i'm not the final authority scripture is and judge what i'm saying that's what our pastors teach and what's all also just interesting as well, too, when it comes to the Hebrew Roots movement, is that the movement isn't primarily about reaching non-believers. It's really focused in on sort of targeted towards Christians, people mm -hmm. who are in churches. And, you know, and a lot of times people have understandable grievances, whether it's you know, church hypocrisy, um, you have pastors, for example, who are, you know, they're unfaithful towards their wife and they have to step down. That wrecks people. There's been tons of stories of churches that have fallen apart and people who experience church hurt or just all sorts of issues whether you can talk about the commercialized church. I mean, what was the pastor that did that crazy Easter service? Mike Todd. Um, Mike Todd, that was insane. Yeah. I can only imagine somebody who's in the Hebrew roots would take a look at something like that. That's just bananas. Like, what one earth were they thinking and they only shut the media, the social media down i think when they got the backlash yeah. but that's it's a it's an example where you see they are trying to reach out in many ways to christians who have grievances and say hey the reason is is because the church has lost its way we need yeah. to the only way true way to follow him is through this this torah observance now you need to and it's not just about observing these things this is now your new identity where now you you can either you know study with me a lot of times people They'll pull people away from churches into house churches, and this where a lot where a lot of these things get emphasized. Yes. And again, there's always some sort of gateway. It could be an issue of people having, you know, looking at the current version of Halloween, which now when you look at, you know, the LGBT, how we talk about how Halloween always incorporates the culture at large, and so you're probably going to see. Um, 
in this upcoming Halloween because of this, the influx of paganism here in the West and now the LGBT explosion, which is really a byproduct of just the explosion of paganism where masculine feminine get distorted. Mm-hmm. But you're going to see people who will say, well, the reason is, is because Halloween is pagan. We need to celebrate the feast. So that could be another way in which they go into. But again, yeah. that when you go to the primary sources behind this movement, a lot of it is based in the 19th century and usually restoration one of the ways they try and the appeal to it as a whole, it's a nice caveat and get around from scores and scores of church history. And one of the primary refutations, too, of the idea that the church would fall away is that this is what Jesus Christ said upon his church. He said, upon this rock, I will establish my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's not even a a defensive position. That's talking about offensive when you're trying to breach the gates. So you have that aspect, but then you see at the end of Ephesians how uh, the Apostle Paul talks about how the glory of Christ and the Church of Christ would be a beacon throughout all generations. There's not going to be sort of this pure version in the first century, and all of a sudden it disappears for 1,800 years, and whoa, look at me, I've got it. Because guess what? For every Hebrew Roots movement, there's a Joseph Smith, and you have a whole – it's almost like if you've seen the animation of the Spider-Mans, you'll all point at each other, you know, saying like, you're the real Spider-Man, you're the caveat. All these restorationists are all sort of pointing at each other. So no, I'm I'm the real one. I'm the real Slim Shady. Yeah. No, no, you're not. Right. <laughs> no, it's not. And because the reality is, is that Scripture says that Christ Church is always going to stand, and there's always issues of where we need to reform ourselves. We need to think about how we're conducting ourselves as pastors, how we're dealing with different conflicts. There's always, the church is very imperfect. I mean, I've had my own era of like problems growing up in church, but they're like, what do you do with that? You need to go back to the text and understand the existence of a counterfeit predicates the authenticity of an original. And the problem is, is that the Hebrew Roots movement, again, very sweet people. uh, Like I really, I've had conversations with a few of them is that they take what are real and understandable, tangible problems that the church needs to deal with and shouldn't shy away from. But then they use a catalyst to really put in a burden or a yoke. And in some cases, depending on who the movement is, they go to challenge essentials of the faith that puts you out of the realm of first john where you start to deny that jesus is god come in the flesh and that's where it goes in the realm of no longer being an orthodox conversation someone who's an heir of someone who is a wolf because they are denying the very truth of who jesus christ is right i think we see this in a lot of aspects of the church and again it's understandable like as someone who is a conservative i understand for example reaction to feminism because feminism has wrought a lot of destruction, but then you swing all the way over here, maybe to whatever form it is, if it's condescension of women, believing that women shouldn't talk at all, period, whatever it is. So you take an equally unbiblical view, but that feels better because it's stricter and it's the opposite of feminism. It's the opposite of liberalism. And so it feels more biblical, but the opposite of something is not necessarily the biblical option, whether you're talking about following the law or whatever it is, grace and law, there's a difference between legalism and holiness. There's a difference between the pendulum swinging in the opposite direction of liberalism and actually being biblical. I think a lot of people who swing in reaction to the depravity of the culture think that they are doing so in the name of sanctification when really 
and all of us have fallen prey to this in some way, when really they are also just being affected by secular culture. Because no matter what issue it is, we are all to be led by the spirit. That's how we're sanctified. We're not sanctified in reaction to the culture. We are sanctified by the leading of the Holy Spirit. So I think all of us need to be Mm. careful in that. And we need to make sure that like the direction that we're going is closer towards truth through the revealed wisdom that we have in the word, not just because we want to be anti whatever the world is. I think that there's a difference there. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think one of the other uh, refutations as well, too, and we're on Zoom, so I'll let you jump in here in a second, is really when you look at what was really taking place in the first century, even the first couple of centuries after the church with uh, as Rome was expanding and also Christianity was expanding as well, too. There's there's a, an amazing series that's probably about 30 years old. I think you can find it on Amazon Prime called The Trial and Testimony of the Early Church. And what you see is that one of the things that Christianity stood out, which was so distinctive and why it just exploded in Rome, because Rome was so – they had expanded so quickly that they really gave people a lot of room to kind of worship and their own gods and practice their own culture in their own specific way. They just had to give a pinch on the incense to Caesar. Um, and that's obviously, if you know the whole story, that's why Christians were persecuted and killed, because they would not say that Caesar is Lord. But what you saw, which was so amazing, is that you had tribes from every background, whether it was Greek, Roman, uh, Nordic. So you think of like a Leonidas, a Ragnar Lothbrok, you know, all these different cultures that have been killing each other, murdering each other for centuries that hated each other. And all of a sudden they're, they're all coming together, uh, taking the ta- at the Lord's table, and they have this unity. And that's what you see, like in Ephesians, Ephesians, where it talks about how Christ has broken down the barrier between Jew and Gentile, thus becoming one. And so mm-hmm. what you end up seeing, even this movement, you see this overcorrection, where as someone who's been overseas and on mission trips, and I've talked with other missionaries, the most amazing thing of seeing someone from a very different culture than you is that there's obviously culture shock when you go there, but when someone over there gets saved, like Christ saves them, their person, but their identity is still embedded within their culture. There isn't a different culture they have to adapt to versus Islam, where you convert and you now have to, you know, you have to give the adherence in Arabic regardless of what language that you speak with. Like Christ changes that person within the confines of their culture. And then they become a light to other people in their culture. So if someone is saved in the projects, that doesn't mean you have to wear a suit, a tie and comb your hair in a specific way. No, you have, you now get to talk about Jesus regeneration. Um, I miss the old Lecrae, by the way. And this is, this is something I think about, but like when you look at his earlier content, yeah. like that's a lot of what he was doing. No yeah, one said totally. he, he had to, he was articulating the gospel in that way. And the error that the Hebrew roots takes is that they say, no, you need to sort of, regardless of what tribe or culture you come from, you need to sort of adhere to sort of this arbitrary Jewishness, when in the reality, even if you look at the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, it was really talking about what the forefathers were looking towards to. Uh, that's the whole book of Hebrews is about, knowing namely that Jesus is the Messiah, and he was going to bring people from every tongue, tribe, and nation to himself. So uh, that's just something that is uh, it's an unfortunate grave error uh, in my belief that the Hebrew Roots Movement has. But I think one of the counteracts is to understand what the original is. 
Okay, let me tell y'all about Brave Books. I absolutely love the kids' books from Brave Books. They are so cute. And what I love about them is that they are delivering messages to our kids that align with the values that we have, the messages that we want to convey as Christian parents. These books from Brave Books convey to our kids, but in a very creative way. These are beautiful picture books. And if you subscribe to Brave Books, you get a new picture book every month that teaches a new, important, and eternal message to our kids. The Book of the Month Club sends a picture book that addresses a relevant topic. It could be like the reality of gender, the sanctity of life, the importance of family. I think that this is really good probably for kindergarten and up. That's just my, from reading the books, that's what I can assess because these are big topics, but they are broken down in a way that I think that age group can really understand. And they're really fun. Like the characters are really fun. We love reading them. Um, so if you go to bravebooks.com, you can use my code Allie and you'll get 20% off your subscription. So you'll get that new book every month on your front porch and you get 20% off with my code Allie, bravebooks.com, code Allie, bravebooks.com, code Allie. Well, I had some thoughts on what, what Ali was saying in terms of reactionary, how we can fall into these yes. traps, the church being reactionary to the culture around us. I forget who said this, uh, but it's a, a, a pastor, I believe, who said the culture is the report card of the church. Hmm. Right. So as Christians, which I think we can echo out through the situation is that. Jesus Christ and through the power of the gospel, we have the ability to magnify culture, whether it be different. Uh, to make it find meaning in the incarnation. Jesus Christ is the light and the life of all men. He makes the meaning of life through the incarnation, the God man. And then even death has meaning through the resurrection, the conquering of death. Uh, and this changes all cultures. This happened in space, in time. The Vikings gave up what they gave to what? Follow Christ, right? This is real because at, there was a point in time where Christians were not reactionary, right? They were storming the gates of hell on this rock, I'll establish my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So I think the lesson that we can learn today uh, as Christians is we should not be reactionary to the culture. Instead, when we're not letting the the river and of living water flow from us as the church, what we're doing is we're actually uh, bringing a drought to the nations, right? We should be preaching the word of God, the gospel to free people, the Holy spirit to convict the world of sin and righteousness and tell the world, not reactionary, but this is what the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords says. We need to obey him. Psalm two, kiss the son, lest you perish in his way. And then acting as Christ is truly King. <clears throat> we can see that theology formed from the Bible proper and the word of God, we wouldn't be reactionary to the culture. Instead, we would understand that the culture and its development is because of Christians and how they speak. Uh, the culture is not in charge of the church. It should never be in charge of the church. But we have this weird misunderstanding today that the secular culture at large has some form of power that it doesn't actually have. In Psalm 10, Psalm 110, 1, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make all of your enemies a footstool for your feet. Uh, it's echoed in Hebrews, even chapter one. Uh, although we don't see all things in subjection to him, we will one day. And it's happening in this very moment. So in order to not be reactionary, we actually have to believe in Jesus as the fulfillment of all the feasts, right? Jesus as the fulfillment of the law in the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. 
And we need to express that freedom to the nations as being that river that outflows from the garden of our religion, true religion, undefiled, like it says in James, in order to make that difference in the world. And if we don't do that, the secular culture suffers at large because you got to first love God in order to love neighbor. So I think uh-huh. as the church, we see LGBTQ issues when we're seeing the rise of hostility in the world. The first thing I would want to take a look at is how are we doing? How are we doing? I, I do believe that the culture is the report card of the church. Uh, it's the gospel yeah. that changes the hearts and minds of men. So that's that's yeah. one thing to remember. And also, I, I want to plug this, too, because Josh Robinson, we interviewed him with the exorcism of uh, Kristen Bellamy. He's recently wrote a book, and it kind of talks about this stuff. It's called Reenchanting Time, and it's talking about how Christians had this mindset throughout uh, millennia, right? Creating holidays, uh, taking dominion, exercising the authority in which Christ had given us in controlling and taking dominion of the things around us. And we've lost that within the last two centuries. I mean, our country itself was founded upon the principles of exercising the freedom of Christ into the world. And we've lost that in the last two centuries, going back even to the restorationist movement and the claims that were made. So I think that stuff's really important. Hmm. Yeah. And just uh, one last thing, too, when it comes to uh, that book, by the way, you should, def- you should definitely look at it because I think one of the problems with reactionary and some of it honestly just has to do with social media. As yeah. much as it's a blessing to be able to connect with your audience, it, you get we all get sort of forced and compartmentalized to put on a jersey to find out, you know, whose team are you on? Right. So that, and it's usually overnight. This happened in 2020. Uh, I call it the Harambe effect, where all of a sudden the thing happened with Harambe. Mm-hmm. Everyone also became an overnight expert on what zoo pe- zookeepers shouldn't, shouldn't yeah. do. And there's laughing here. And w- so, whether or not it's Black Lives Matter, whether or not it's Ukraine, Whatever the issue is, we're all forced to take these sides, and you can you have to embrace a certain specific uh, narrative. And I think it's also some of the reactionary comes to what is or is not pagan. And I think people regard before we even address that as Christians, the most holistic view is to ask, what does is the earth the Lord's? When you look at when it talks in Scripture, when it talks about the earth, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. To what extent does that truly belong to the pagans? And so just because pagans are the ones currently who run social media, who are sort of running, you know, who are just really ruling the Twitterverse with an iron fist up until Elon Musk uh, came along and kind of cleared things up a little bit. And it's kind of interesting to see where that goes. But so if the pagans create something, does that mean we don't we don't touch it? We just go off of social media. We don't engage in the public sphere. If you have a church, if you have a city that's created by that's founded by pagans, you don't go there to try and start a business to try and be salt and light because you don't want to be part of the world. I think Christians really need to ask themselves what what are they truly afraid of? And I think one of the problems too with overcorrections is that obviously we are going through a very strange time right now. It's probably the strangest of times I've seen. And especially a lot of it has to do with the influx of paganism here in the West. We are a post-Christian culture uh, in every sense of the term. And the more you're seeing evil just being portrayed, whether it's in the music industry or whether it's being uh, in movies or the normalization of uh, Satan in, in many different ways, there's this tendency to look at that and be fearful and be afraid of that. And this huge emphasis on demons, what is or isn't pagan and how somehow this is going to get on you, when in reality, as Christians, we need to look at the victory that Christ did on the cross when mm-hmm. he talked about how one, as far as our own personal identity, ourselves, that our life is hidden with Christ and God. 
that Christ has already, uh, for those who are Christians, Christ has already canceled the debt. Uh, and he has nailed of decrees that were nailed against us that were held to the cross. But then we look at in regards to demons and paganism. Paganism is all the, it gets its information and source from demonic entities. There's no that's incontrovertible. But what does what does Scripture say about the relation that Christ about Christ in relation to principalities and powers and the elemental spirits of the world? It says in Colossians chapter two that Christ has made a public spectacle over them, mm-hmm. has already triumphed over them, has made a mockery over through them. So I look at the culture and obviously I want to be concerned. I have, a, I have a baby on the way and, and I'm a, I'm a father to, I'm a father right now and a father to be and Andrew, you have four kids that we want to obviously be discerning, but not also not be fearful because Christ is victorious. And so even the aesthetic of being scared because this or this is pagan one, it's, it's in fake, it's, the, the sources are in fake pseudo history. You don't see any of this paganism as argumentation. It's all sourced from, sourced from 19th century pseudo historians. There's nothing based in fact when it comes to this, but it's also based off of a fear that somehow the unbelieving world can somehow get something onto you from pagan sources when you're already in Christ and your identity is hidden with Christ and God. People are sort of lot they're, they're sort of, in a sense, looking at, you know, emulating sort of Peter, looking at this storm, being fearful and sinking in fear, rather than seeing Jesus who's right in front of them. So rather being afraid of the culture and all the different agates of paganism that are very real and very tangible, and I can understand why people would want to overcorrect and pendulum swing to something like the Hebrew roots. They're not looking at the big picture right in front of them, that, again, that their life is hidden with Christ and God, yeah. and that Christ is victorious over even the primary sources of where true paganism comes from. So I think that's one of the major ways to kind of correct something like the Hebrew roots. Yeah. And I think that it's just so gracious of God that he allows us to um, see our overcorrections and our disobedience in his word. And he always brings us back. I think we do have the tendency to be reactionary. And I was thinking as you were talking about the different issues that we have in our culture, it's not wrong to build a response to those things. I mean, I certainly have become more solid on issues because I've had to respond and react to them that I just didn't have to think about before. I mean, there was a time that really none of us put a whole lot of thought into gender. Can you switch your gender? Why does it, why does biology matter more than what you feel? Are there multiple genders? We all knew the answers, of course, but we would have laughed it off. We didn't have to think deeply about that 20 to 25 years ago. My parents weren't worried when I just wanted to wear jeans and a t-shirt when I was four years old. It wasn't some existential crisis that we went through as a family. But now that it is, Christians are kind of forced to respond. So it's not wrong to look at the culture and say, whoa, how should I respond to that? And then go into the word of God and say, okay, thank the Lord that he has given me clarity on this. Now I have an answer because the word of God has already answered this question for me. It is wrong, though, to take an equally unbiblical position on the other side of the pendulum just because you Mm. want to be anti-secular. There's a difference between anti-secular and biblical. Absolutely. I could not agree more. Okay, next sponsor for the day is Birch Golds. 
we know that the dollar, the American dollar doesn't seem to be doing very well, which is very troubling. I don't even understand all of the implications of that, but I know that it's not good. We just don't know what the future holds when it comes to the strength of the American economy, which means we don't know what the future holds for our own savings. So just to be as safe as possible, it might be good to look into diversifying a portion of your savings into gold. Birch Gold Group can help you do that. They've got thousands of five-star reviews. They've got an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. People really love working with Birch Gold. If you have a bunch of questions, you're like, Allie, I don't know what you're talking about. What does diversifying my savings mean? What are hard assets? Well, they can answer those questions for you. All you got to do is text Allie to 989-898. They'll send you a free, no obligations info kit on gold so you can learn more. Text Allie to 989-898 for your free info kit from Birch Gold. Allie to 989-898. So I just want to finish with just specifically the Hebrew Roots Movement, which I agree with you. I I think it is as sincere as some of the people may be, I do think it is perhaps an overcorrection. And the biggest concern with me is not just, oh, that you like traditions or you don't like shellfish. Okay, whatever. That's fine. I think that's you. You like to celebrate the feast because you think it's a fun historical thing and Jesus did take part in them. But I do think it has the power to diminish the power of the gospel um, or in your life, your belief in the power of the gospel and create some kind of man-made religion that we know cannot save. So I just want to finish with a couple of um, a couple of verses that you have you guys have alluded to a few times. So one is Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off Gentiles have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. So Gentiles don't become Jews, but Gentiles and Jews both become Christians. So we're not, as you said, trading our cultural identity. We are not trading our Jewishness culturally or Gentileness culturally. We are all trading our identity as fleshly people for spiritual people, for Christians. Yeah. Um, and then there's Romans 7, 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code, which is so clear. And so is Galatians 3.10. For all who rely on works of the law, again, not just you look to it, you think it's a good idea to abide by some of them, but all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And that to me is the verse that really shows that by looking to the law for our salvation in any way, or even our sanctification, looking to the Old Testament law, it diminishes the work on the cross that Jesus did for us by fulfilling the law and freeing us from the yoke that was placed on us by the law. The law is not salvific at all. 
And that's what I fear. I fear that people aren't experiencing the freedom that is in the gospel and in Christ because they think that they have to abide by laws that are no longer applicable to Christians today. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And just uh, what we would do, if, if you want to understand, we've only really covered the almost the very basic bullet points in a sense, to, because again, this this view is so broad. And as they'll probably in the comment section, you know, you have certain people disagreeing on yeah. either what we said, or you might even have people, certain Hebrews people, even disagreeing with each other. No, I'm the proper representation. No, no, I am. No, I am. But uh, we would just say we have some content if you want to understand on a deeper level. Uh, our, we have a good friend of ours, uh, Andrew Schumacher. Uh, we've done a couple episodes with him, uh, four episodes altogether, encompassing two series. I think the first one, which is a general overview. Um, the second series goes into uh, specific uh, claims. And then uh, as far as what, what the different scripture and proof texts that they try and uh, look at in relation to the law, Torah, the gospel, uh, and something really good, because more than likely, again, this is, you can probably, some people will get very passionate and kind of argue about it in internet land, but in reality, most of anyone who has to deal with us are probably talking with a friend in close proximity to them, a friend they truly care for, a family, maybe somebody in a home church or maybe like in, a, in a mom's uh, group uh, where someone all of a sudden someone come and has these ideas of the feast and stuff like that. That's where they're going to be really dealing it with it. Uh, and there's another book just called The Hebrew Roots Movement, uh, and it's uh, authored by the name of Ruben Gomez. He's actually a minister uh, from Spain, and he's given a really good general overview of just sort of answering some of these uh, claims. He kind of goes more in depth on the worldwide church of God, uh, some of what he calls Hebrish, which is sort of the combined mixture of English and Hebrew. And that's where you kind of get those made up terms like Yahshua or all these kind of weird variations of the name of God that are just have really come about by this movement. Um, and again, I would say uh, the book by Josh Robinson called Reenchanting Time, that kind of gives a good understanding of the nature in which Christians have, where every day belongs to the Lord and we and also even the the ability as Christians to set apart our own holidays in fact the general principle of Christians establishing days uh, in glory to God that's even where Thanksgiving came from that there was a very Christian nature behind Thanksgiving that we even celebrate today a day that was commemorated as a day to give Thanksgiving to God and even as as now as materialistic as we've gotten now you know you refer to it as Turkey Day we don't really think of it as truly giving Thanksgiving to God for all the provisions that he's given us uh, even in the strangest of times so I would say definitely look at those resources and hopefully this would give a very good understanding, uh, especially if any of you have a good friend, somebody that you care about, where you kind of see these, and you're not sure of how to address them, we definitely encourage you to take a look at those sources. Yes, definitely. Hey, yeah. Go ahead. Last word. Yep. Yeah, just another source for everybody. Andrew Schumacher, who we uh, interviewed for those Hebrew Roots Movement episodes we did, he actually has a YouTube channel uh, in terms of apologetics, and he uh, talks with these people. Uh, it's called The Beginning of Wisdom. That's his YouTube channel. Just want to throw that plug out there because it's really helpful. Yes. Well, thank you guys so much for this insight. Again, I mean, this is a subject like all the subjects we've discussed that could be talked about for hours and hours. But I do hope that it's giving people an understanding. And the goal always is to point back to the gospel, not to ourselves or our own wisdom or anything. But the gospel really does have the answers for all the things that we're discussing. So uh, thank you guys so much. Recommend y'all's podcast, The Coltish Podcast. Um, thanks for taking the time to come on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for having us on, Ellie. 
Relatabells and Relatabros. If you could please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to Relatable, that would mean so much to us and it really does help the show. Also, if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, please do. Thanks. Thanks.